Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 15. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. His word is good. Well, good morning. How are we doing today? So good to see you all. Uh, my name is Jeff. I get to serve on staff here at the church. I am uh, excited to bring God's word to us this morning in this very famous prayer. Um, you know, this is week four of us looking at the Lord's Prayer. And the first three weeks have been our eyes focused up, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Majestic, mighty, wonderful, powerful. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The first three weeks is all of us with our, with our eyes looking up. But now we come to this little section, give us this day our daily bread, which I hope all of you will go, man, I memorized the scripture for the teaching today. All right, this is your opportunity. Give us this day our daily bread. And it is a prayer of what's called a prayer of petition. Instead of lifting our eyes up and praising God, we go, God, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what's going on in my heart. This is what most of us think about when we think about prayer. What do I need? What are my wants? What are my desires? And I want to encourage you this morning that that is not a bad thing. That God cares about you. Some of you just need to hear this this morning, that he cares about your lives. He cares about your welfare. And he wants to meet you in all of your desires and all of your needs and all of your wants and in all of your longings. It's a beautiful reality that the God of, who created this world cares about you, cares about your heart. Today we're going to look at three points if you're taking notes. The first one is this, God cares about it all. The second point is the slavery of security. And the third, why me? Point number one, God cares about it all. So Jesus instructs us as we pray to God to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now there's two ways to read this passage. It's either give us today, give us our bread today, or give us our bread today for tomorrow. Right, but either way you read it, as you understand the Greek, either way you read it, it means the same thing. It means give us what we need today for tomorrow or today, but not the future. This is not about future security. This is about God providing our daily needs. 
our daily bread. Do I have any bread fans in the room today? Anybody like to make bread? That, uh, oh, anyone? No hand? Okay, oh, we do have, there we go. Enthusiastic bread maker. After, after preparing this talk, I'm like, I gotta start learning how to make sourdough. In 2012, Jen and I flew to France. I officiated uh, the wedding of one of my roommates from college. And we flew into Paris. We took a train down to southern France, the train to Avignon, and then went south about 45 more minutes to this little town called Egalier. And this, this town was nothing on a map. It had this little downtown of maybe seven buildings. And we stayed in this house about 50 yards from the little town center. And this house was older than the United States, which just tripped me out the whole time. It's the age of Europe. And every day or every other day as we were making meals and hanging out, we'd walk down into town. And we would, we would go visit um, the fromagerie. And I did take French in high school, so prepare to be impressed. <laughs> we'd go to the fromagerie and get the cheese shop, the boucherie, the meat shop, and the boulangerie. Now, Again, don't correct me afterwards, which is the bread shop. Might have been some wine mixed in there as well, okay? So we'd go down and we'd get our meat and our cheese and our bread. It was the closest I've ever come to understanding daily bread. And it was the most delicious, the best bread I've ever had. Do you know how many independent bakeries there are in France? Anybody want to take a a stab at how many independent bakeries in the country of France. 30,000 independent bakeries in France. Do you know how many independent bakeries are in the United States? 3,000, right? They know how to bake bread in France. America has learned how to mass produce everything, right? You had chemicals, you had pre preservatives, and then you have 50 different options of bread that'll stay for months in your fridge. <laughs> and the, the need for a daily bread is not as much a reality for us. And I tell you this because Jesus' listeners, and actually listeners and readers throughout most of human history, would have understood what he's talking about. That he's not just talking about a loaf of fermented wheat, but he's talking about our daily needs. And bread was the most universal understanding of the basic necessities of life. What do we call a person who has a job and makes monies to pay for the necessity of life? We call him the breadwinner. Martin Luther in his short catechism, he says that daily bread, this is a, this is a long list, it's, it includes everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body, such as Food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. The daily needs of life. That as we pray to God, that we're praying, God, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our daily needs. And as we start to unpack this, what it means to pray for daily bread, I do want to spend 30 seconds to talk about some things that it's not. 
It's not a command to abandon plans for the future, savings, and care for future generations of your family. Look at Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But it's also not a prayer for the excesses of daily life. Stanley Howarth, in his commentary, he writes, let's face it. Most of us don't think much about daily bread because for most of us, at least the people who will read this book, bread is not a problem. Most of us perish from too much bread rather than too little, filling the gnawing emptiness within through careless consumption. It's a pretty good picture of what Western culture looks like. So this prayer is for daily bread, which encompasses everything in our daily lives. And it's a reminder that it is God who provides. And this is hard for the cultural context that we find ourselves in. Again, Howard continues. He says, we live in a society that abhors dependence upon God or anything else. Yet every time we ask God for bread, we acknowledge not only our dependence upon a beneficent God, but also our dependence on other people. No bread comes to our table without the work, the sacrifice, and the gifts of strangers whom we do not know and cannot thank. Our current cultural moment is one of fierce independence and individualism. That it is my right to think how I want to think, act how I want to act, be who I want to be. So naturally a prayer, an ancient prayer that makes the assumption that we are not in control, that we are ultimately not the ones that provide, it's going to make people bristle. It's going to make our culture bristle. But ultimately, the individualism, the belief that we have within our current context will also leave people very empty. Why, as the saying goes, are there no atheists in foxholes? Because when the bombs start to drop, any semblance of the control that we thought we had in life is what? It's eliminated. There's a realization that we need a higher power to save us. But in the West, like we've said, we, we feel that we have control over the basic necessities of life. We can go to the store and buy bread. We can go buy things that we need. We have homes and things of that nature. Until the moment comes when the bombs start dropping, lost job, sicknesses, longings not met, broken relationships. The sense of control we thought we had in life becomes very uncertain. And it leads us to one important truth, that we are not the center of this story. We are not the director of the film. We don't sit on the throne. And as we think about this prayer and this prayer for daily bread, Tim Keller talks about a centering as it relates to this prayer. Who's at the center of the prayer? If the center of the prayer is us, it's what we need, what we want, what our will desires, then when expectations aren't met, when worry arises, it always points back to the need that we think we deserve. It points back to us and the question of this, God, why is this happening to me? 
But if the center is on him, if we remove the spotlight and we put the spotlight on him, as this prayer does, we begin every prayer with what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your will, not my will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we put the center on God, then unanswered prayers become an opportunity for faith, become a confidence of who he is, a belief that his ways are better than my ways, a belief that he is in control. A centering prayer with God as the focus is a reminder that he is our father. He knows what's best for his kids that he deeply loves. I believe God answers every prayer that we offer. I do. I believe he answers every prayer. But I believe he does it not in the ways we think is best, but the way that he knows is best. Let me give you a little fun illustration. Sometimes I have two kids, two girls, 10 and 8. Sometimes they will ask me with the most convicting voice, can we please have ice cream for dinner? And I'm like, I appreciate so much that you asked this with the confidence that I think you think I'm going to say yes. I'm never saying yes to that. That's a hard no, right? So their request for ice cream is met with a father that loves them and knows like, you're going to be a train wreck if all I give you is ice cream for dinner. So you say no. But we say no with the caveat of, hey, maybe we can have some ice cream after dinner. Maybe on Friday we'll, we watch movies on Friday night. Maybe we'll fill up a huge bowl of ice cream. Right? So we're going to meet that desire. It'll be different than they think. And sometimes God lavishes great gifts on us, on his kids. When, when my girls finished school last year, we had what we call a yes day, where they could, we just said, we told them we'd say yes to everything with the caveat that no Disneyland and no animals, right? <laughs> and so they said, can we have ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Which we replied, Yes. You're going to be a train wreck, but we're going to do it this day. Sometimes God lavishes good gifts on us. But in the end, the outcome for us is always better than we would have anticipated or understood. God hears your prayers. He answers your prayers every time. And listen, we laugh about ice cream for dinner, but I know looking around that there are a lot of heartbreaking, unanswered prayers in this room. And there's no easy answer other than to say, God loves you. He is here for you. He is trustworthy. He knows what you need more than you do. So keep going to him in prayer. Center your prayer on him and trust that he sees you and he hears you. Let's move on to point two, the slavery of security. And look at a group of people that went to the Lord in prayer for a long time. Now, the Israelites in the, in the Old Testament were God's chosen people. And I love the Israelites. Sometimes they're such an encouraging example to me that I'm not the only idiot trying to follow a faithful God. For those not familiar with the story of the Exodus, let me give you a two-minute summary. God's people, the Israelites, are in Egypt. They are slaves. They've been slaves for about 400 years. It is brutal. It is 
horrible. And they have been praying to God for deliverance. God, you told us you were your chosen people, that you were going to take us to the promised land, praying, praying, praying. And finally, God, in his infinite wisdom, devises a plan for their deliverance. He answers their prayers by a man named Moses who comes and inflicts 10 plagues on the Egyptians, horrible plagues. And he does so because their leader, Pharaoh, will not release the people. Finally, he relents. He gives them their freedom and they head out into the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And as they're approaching the Red Sea, what happens? The Egyptians change their mind and go, no, no, we like you as slaves. So they start to pursue them. And, but God, through Moses, splits the Red Sea and the Israelites walk on dry ground. And when the Egyptians follow, the sea closes up and the Israelites are safe and they have earned, and they have earned their freedom. God has delivered them. And they go into the wilderness. Moses records, I think this is Exodus 16, this beautiful prayer of deliverance to God. And then one month later, after witnessing God's miraculous hand of redemption, receiving their freedom that their ancestors had prayed for, one month later, they're hungry. They don't have food. And they offer this ridiculous statement in light of what they've been through. They say this in Exodus 16.3, If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. How quickly they forgot. I mean, it's kind of mind-boggling to think if you witnessed the Red Sea and all the plagues that you would not continue to trust God until we kind of think back on our own life. How quickly we forget how God has provided for us, how he has delivered us, especially in the light of an uncertain future. The message of the Israelites was this. We will go back to slavery in Egypt, a horrible life, if we are provided the security of our daily needs. And I think the message of today in our Western culture is that the drive for security can be a kind of modern day slavery. Now there's a lot of real slavery that happens in this country and in this world, but there's a Western version of slavery where we stay where we are because of the idol and the conviction that we need security above anything else. Some of you are in unhealthy jobs, but the fear of tomorrow, the fear of that daily bread, the necessities of life being met, keeps you in that job. It keeps you enslaved. Fear often prevents us from moving forward, whether it's fear of failure or fear of what your parents might think or fear associated with not having retirement or 401k or kids' colleges. Now, don't hear me say that I think you should abandon your job tomorrow and throw caution into the wind. But God was taking the Israelites to the promised land and he promised and he had delivered them. And they wanted to go back. 
So I want to encourage and challenge us today to go, man, am I sitting in, a, in this kind of Western slavery because of the fear of the unknown? Has God put something in my heart? Is there a longing in my life that I'd love to live out, but I'm scared of tomorrow? I think this prayer is for you. God heard the Israelites and he provided manna for them. In the morning, they'd wake up, this weird honey wafer thing that came out of the, um, the dew and they could eat it for the day. And then by the next day, it had spoiled. And he said, I hear you, I'm with you. Here is some daily sustenance for you. But if even thinking about that brings up some nervousness or anxiety in your heart, I think this is where a centering prayer is so important. God, you are holy. You are to be hallowed. Would your kingdom come? I want to be a part of your will for the world. You are in charge. Would you provide? Maybe a simple prayer of, God, what is your will for my life? For a lot of my life, I've been going, this is my will or my family's will for my life. But God, what is your will for my life? Speaking of daily bread, Howrus, in his commentary, he says a more accurate translation of this word daily might be sufficient or enough. To pray for more would tempt us to try to live as if we were other than those who live only by the will and working of a gracious God. When manna was given in the wilderness, the Hebrews were permitted to gather only as much as they needed for each day. Daily we must reach out to God who daily reaches out to us. Daily we, up, daily, we are up to the realization that if we are here, if our lives have significance and substance, it is only because of the daily gifts of God. There is freedom for you. There is freedom because God is a good, loving, gracious God who cares about you and who knows you. Let's close with the last point, point three. Why me? Why me? First Peter 5, 7 gives all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. It's been a verse that, is, that has been kind of on repeat in my mind for a bunch of years. Give all your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. But do you know why he cares about you? We talked about this in a, in a little community group leader meeting a week ago. There's this moment when Jesus starts his ministry and he's baptized. And then the heavens, it says, are ripped open. And the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And the voice of God comes to Jesus, says this in Mark 5.1. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. How could your life be different if we believed that God says this to us as well? deep in the core of who we are. Because through Jesus, this is how God views you. He looks at you and says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. With you, I am well pleased. He's a good father. And as a result, we can trust that he will care for us. We can be bold in bringing our requests to him. He hears from you at the beginning of 
the Lord's Prayer that we read a little bit says that God already knows what you're going to pray. Bring it to him. Because he's a father that wants his kids to bring their requests to him. You don't have to scramble. You don't have to earn his love. Peace and satisfaction are born out of the reality that that earning was, was finished with Jesus. We don't have to earn it. It's given out of grace and love because you are a beloved son and daughter of God. Amazing truth. Now, for those of you that are here that are exploring Christianity, asking questions, trying to understand who this Jesus is. How does God meet our daily lives? There's this moment with Jesus where all these people are following him and 5,000 people come to him. Many of you know this story. And they come without anything to eat. And the disciples go, Lord, what are we going to feed them? We only have a couple loaves and fishes. And he goes, let's pray, break them, it'll be enough. And the miraculous uh, fish and loaves expand and multiply and it feeds all the people. Because God cares about their daily needs. And then the disciples and Jesus, they go across the lake and the people are like, that's amazing. This guy gives us food. And so they follow him and they confront him. And he goes, no, no. You're here because you want me to feed you for today. But I have something better for you. He replies in John 6, 35, that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. With Jesus, we don't hunger and we don't thirst because through what he did on the cross, his resurrection and the resurrection of the dead, he has defeated Seth, sin, death, and Satan. He has set us free to be a children, a child of God, a beloved son and daughter. Because of that, we are in God's family forever. We will feast with him for eternity upon his return. It's what it means to be a Christian. It's not to earn God's love. It's to simply understand who Jesus is and to follow him. In a minute, we're going to sing a new song, a beautiful song based on Psalm 23. And the first line of this song is, the Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I need. There's nothing we need because of what has been provided. Before I pray this song, I'd love to give you a minute of silent prayer to yourself to bring your petitions to God. Maybe to go, God, what is your will for my life? Maybe to go, God, I've, I, I want to follow you, whatever it is, wherever you're at. Just to give you a minute to go to the Lord, knowing that he hears you, he answers those prayers. Then I'll close us in prayer and we'll stand to sing this song together. So let's take a minute in quiet prayer.
am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. These words, Lord Jesus, can change a life forever. That our eternal security is secure because of what you did on the cross. That we are a son and daughter of the King. That we are beloved. That God is well pleased with who we are. I pray for my friends here who are struggling with basic necessities of life. That as a church, we would support and love one another. Those that are poor, disenfranchised, those that are struggling, that we would be a group of people modeled by going of generosity and care. And for those that are stuck in life with great fear about tomorrow, would they know deep in their soul that you are with them, that you care for them, that you will provide for them, that all we need are is daily bread because all we need is you and you are with us in that. So I pray an encouragement on our soul, on our mind, on our heart, that above all that you love us, you're for us and you're with us. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.